with only four more episodes to go in 2021, it's the Dockiverse Podcast, Episode 60, Saliva and Salvia. In this episode, we've got a monster movie review and a three-box problem. And now, let's get things started. Hello there, gentle listeners. It's Doc Cross, your host here, and I hope you've all had a good few days. We are rapidly plowing through December, and Christmas is right around the corner. Grace and I are laying in our supply of holiday goodies. We are not going anywhere this year. We don't usually exchange gifts because we buy whatever we want throughout the year if we have the money for it. There might be a couple of little gifts between the two of us, and of course we'll be getting a little something for Sasha. But other than that, we don't do much. We stay home. We eat a varied table full of meats, cheeses, snack stuff, pastries, ice cream, things that we like to drink, whatever. And that's pretty much our Christmas Eve and our Christmas Day. Anyway... It's time to get on to that most important thing of every program, me thanking my patrons over on Patreon. So, thank you, David. Thank you, Avis. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, James. Thank you, Marion. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you, Peter. You guys are great, and I hope you get a lot of fine, fine gifts. Now we move on to our Monday tradition of the Monster Movie Review. And we are still doing movies that make you say, what the fuck did I just see? And this one is uh, right there firmly in that. It's a regional horror movie. It was made to be shown in the South, in Texas, places like that, mostly at drive-ins. This was a very common thing back in the day when drive-ins were a thing. People would make uh, very, very cheap movies, and they would show in you know, regional areas. Like up in New England, you'd have ones made up there, and they would show to that local audience. Out here in California, you had some. Uh, it was mostly done in the South, though, and the uh, Southwest. And this movie is The Killer Shrews. It's a 1959 American independent science fiction film directed by Ray Kellogg, and produced by Ken Curtis and Gordon McClendon. Now, if that name, Ken Curtis, sounds a little familiar to you, Ken Curtis was originally a singer, sung with the Sons of the Pioneers back in the day, and an actor. He was in a number of movies, and he played Festus on Gunsmoke. So that's where you remember him from. He was a pretty talented guy, really. And he made a couple of movies, uh, both as producer and as actor. Both he and his co-producer, Gordon McClendon, are acting in this one, along with James Best, who later played Roscoe P. Coltrane on The Dukes of Hazard, a young lady by the name of Ingrid Gouda, Baruch Lumet, and Judge Henry Dupree. So that's your actors there, and it was shot outside of Dallas, Texas. It was produced back-to-back with the giant Gila monster, the other big uh, what-the-fuck movie. It's now in the public domain. 
It's been issued on multiple DVDs. It was lampooned by Mystery Science Theater. And yes, we're about to talk about this movie because it's pretty interesting. So here's the general plot as I got it off of Wikipedia. Captain Thorne Sherman, played by James Best, and his first mate Rook Griswold, played by Judge Henry Dupre, deliver some supplies by boat to a group on a remote island. The group, consisting of scientist Marlowe Cragus, played by Baruch Lumet, his research assistant Radford Baines, played by Gordon McClendon, the scientist's daughter Anne, played by Ingrid Gouda, and her former fiancé Jerry Farrell, played by Ken Curtis, and a servant Mario, played by Alfred DeSoto. Welcome the captain and his first mate. Before the two visitors can get too comfortable, though, the islanders, to their surprise, begin to insist that the ship leave immediately and take Anna with them, even though a hurricane is fast approaching the island. Thorne, however, insists that the storm will be too severe for them to leave that night, and so instead he goes with the researchers to their compound, while Griswold stays on the boat, saying that he will come ashore later. Then they sit around to have a few drinks, and Thorne becomes aware of some menace threatening all their lives, and the reason why the doctor and company were so eager for the ship to leave. Marlo Cragus, as it turns out, has been performing well-meaning genetic research and has been using shrews, which, by the way, are the most vicious and high-metabolism little animals you could find. They're carnivores. They're deadly. Uh, to test animals due to their short lifespans, allowing him to track his research's progress over multiple generations. Uh, that doesn't sound too bad, does it? Well, it gets worse. So his purpose in these experiments is to isolate and manipulate the genes responsible for growth and metabolism in order to eventually shrink humans to half their size so as to reduce world hunger. Now, i got to take a little moment here to say that this has happened in at least two horror movies. It's part of Tarantula, in which case they're trying to grow creatures big, so there'll be more food that way. And it's been in other things. Let's shrink humans down so there's more resources. Or let's make animals bigger so there's more of them to eat. Yeah, it's in Food of the Gods, too. Uh, instead of these scientists just figuring out, oh, I don't know, a new form of birth control for humans, or maybe a way to raise animals in a more efficient manner so that you can get a cow raised up for milk in you know less time or a pig ready to be killed and eaten in you know half the time or something. No, no, no. It's always, let's manipulate the size of things, and that never, ever works out. Okay, that was a mini rant. I'm sorry. So anyway, as you can probably imagine, the shit hits the fan. Shrews try to attack them. They're in big trouble. There's a storm going on. Oh, it's terrible. The shrews are digging in that house. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? And on top of all this, the character played by Ken Curtis, remember him? The producer and the guy playing the ex-boyfriend? Well, he is a big coward, and he wants to run away from everything, and he threatens people with guns. And, of course, we all know how that's going to eventually turn out. This movie is goofy. The special effects are, well, less than wonderful. The shrews, in some cases, are fake heads that they you know, poke through the holes that they dig into the compound. And in some cases, they're a little bit of puppets. 
and in some cases where they needed wider shots of these giant shrews running around chasing people, they put costumes on coonhounds, and they served as giant shrews. You have no trouble telling that these are dogs in costumes, believe me. One of the things about this movie that's interesting is, although it was a low-budget movie, and it was a regional film, it was very successful. Not only as a regional film, in the regions it was shown, but unlike other regional films, it received national and even foreign distribution. So, for the price they probably spent on making this, it made a lot of profit. It sold all over the place. I know that I read somewhere that Ken Curtis made a decent amount of money when it was packaged and sold to television. So, congratulations to them, you know. However, this is a whack film. It's a lot of dialogue, a lot of people in one or two, you know, sets uh, as far as the inside of the compound goes. Uh, the rest is running around out in the boonies. The boat, when you see it on the water, you can see that not too far beyond it, there's land. And it looks like you could maybe swim from the island to whatever other land is over there where there are no shrews. One of the things about shrews is if they could stay in that damn compound where the shrews can't reach them, the shrews get hungry, they're going to start eating each other. In fact, the guy says that in the movie. They'll start eating each other, and eventually there'll be one shrew left, and it will starve to death. But, you know, that wouldn't make for a very interesting movie, would it? This movie is available on YouTube. It's available in a lot of uh, different forms, because like I said, it's in a public domain, and as soon as something goes in a public domain, everybody and his brother starts trying to sell it and make some money off it. Although you can be assured that some of those public domain uh, DVDs are going to look like shit, because they're copies of copies of copies. Anyway, that's the Killer Shrews. That's our monster movie review for this time around. And we'll have another one next time. Now we come to a three-box problem where I draw single words or small bits of words out of three different boxes. And we make something out of it. And this time, the words, the slips of paper I got out were Young Gnome... Searching the land in summer. So, given that gnomes, especially in D&D, are inventors and they create things, and sometimes those things don't work the way they expected, and sometimes they blow up, and sometimes they cause a lot of problems, this young gnome could be used really well in a sort of comedic adventure, where you're either trying to help this young gnome find whatever he's looking for, or you're trying to prevent him from getting what he's looking for because you don't feel very good about his, you know, anti-dragon, cold-shooting giant machine that he's building. Or perhaps this young gnome is just out seeing the world, and he hooks up with your party, and he's got a few interesting inventions, and he travels around with them, and he's more interested in actually just seeing stuff he hasn't seen before than adventuring. Or, if you have a whole party of gnomes, he could be the young one that's going out with him, and by golly, he's going to be a famous adventurer. He's going to see the world in the summertime, and everything's nice, and boy, this is going to be fun. Until, of course, it's not fun. 
I like gnomes. Uh, in my D&D and pizza campaign that we had going, they were great little inventors. They kept the skyship flying. They provided our party with useful stuff. And they figured out what other useful stuff really did. Oh, look, it's an ancient artifact. Let's give it to the gnomes. And, you know, as long as the gnomes were just telling you what it did, that's fine. Because most of the time they were right. Not all the time, but most of the time. So anyway, you got this young gnome out searching the land in the summertime. There's a lot of things you can do with him. And I hope you have fun with it. We'll have another three bucks problem in a couple of weeks. And now, folks, we are at the end of the program, and I want to thank you all for listening and supporting. If you're not listening on Anchor, you folks listening on Anchor, thank you for listening. Why don't you come on over to Patreon and support me? If you have a suggestion, a comment, or a question, I can be reached on Facebook, where I'm Doc Cross, on WordPress at the Docoverse blog, via email at agentroscoe at gmail.com. If you're listening on Anchor, leave a message voicemail. If you're listening on the Patreon page, leave a message and they'll tell me all about it with an email. If you'd like to support me via Patreon and hear these podcasts two weeks before those folks on Anchor do, just go to www.patreon.com forward slash dot cross, sign up for a buck a month to hear the podcast and three bucks a month to hear the podcast and get all that cool instant places stuff. And more cool stuff is coming in 2022. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast or advertise on it, get in touch with me by any of the methods I just mentioned, and I will thank you profusely as we work out a deal. Our music this time was an unnamed song by Big Sandy and his Flyright Boys. It came off of the Free Music Archives, and I hope you enjoyed it. This podcast and everything on it, except the music, is copyright 2021 by Doc Cross. I will see you all next time. Live long and prosper.